Good morning, Journey. That was last week's baptism service for those of you who missed it. Yeah, you can put your hands together. Eight folks getting baptized, great, great stories. You know, I, I, uh, I find it coincidental, um, I guess would be the word, that we begin this series kind of with a baptism video because as we get ready to start this series, and if you're brand new, welcome. My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're here. You have come on the first Sunday of what is going to be a seven-week teaching series um, that we're titling, if you look at the front of your bulletin or that banner back there, we're titling Supernatural, trying to learn about the supernatural spiritual things of the Christian life. And let me tell you where this series began. It began with a baptism service about a year ago. What happened when we used to do our baptisms was somebody would take pictures of them, and we may still do this, I'm just not sure, um, and they would lay them at the Next Steps tent back there, and people could come and pick up their picture the week after they were baptized. So about a year ago, we had a baptism service, uh, and the next week, they had the pictures laid out on the Next Steps table, and you're not here for the 915 service, um, so if you've never been to a 915 service, I'm kind of the, the head greeter at the 915 service. A lot of times, I, I do ministry only from the stage, but I love to hang out and get to know people and say hi to people, so from about 845 to 910, every Sunday morning, I just hang out kind of in the parking lot and just say hi to folks. When they come in, and then at 9:10, I book it in here, pass the next steps tent, throw on my microphone, and get ready to preach. And every Sunday, I walk by and I'd see those baptism pictures laying there, uh, and I'd go by week after week after week. And every week there was less and less and less. But week after week after week after week after month after month after month, there were two or three pictures that were still sitting there. And I thought, man, you got, like you got to be kidding me. Have these people not been to church since they got baptized? So I just felt led after, I mean, probably four months of looking at the same pictures to call some of the folks and just say, hey, it's Christian, and um, I've been walking by your baptism picture, so I've been thinking about you every Sunday. I haven't seen you. Is there anything we can do? Is, is everything okay? And I had, I had one girl who, you know, was kind of embarrassed, and she said, Christian, I haven't been to church um, since I got baptized. And I said, well, what, like, what, you know, what happened? Um, did I leave you under too long? Did, you know, was the water too hot or too cold? Like, did we do something wrong? Um, and she said, no, I'll just be honest. She said, it was like all hell broke loose against me um, after I got baptized. And like from my life to my job to my family to my health, like just everything has gone wrong and I just haven't been able to get back. And I kind of chuckled and I said, well, you should have expected that. And she asked me a very honest question. She said, Why? And I said, well, because when you, when you take big steps of spiritual commitment, usually you, you, know, you experience a lot of kind of spiritual warfare. You know, right when you take a big step of spiritual commitment, it's, it's like the devil's trying to pull you back. And she said, well, how's that work? And it was like God used that conversation to get my attention that perhaps it was time at our church to go to the next level of spiritual understanding in the Christian life because... We have seen as a church a lot of people make decisions. Nearly 350 people have made decisions for Jesus in our church in the last 22 months. We've baptized 83 people like you have just seen baptized. We've had a lot of people who are beginning their spiritual walk. But God really kind of showed me, Christian, you're, you're not giving them the whole plan of God. You're not showing them how to grow. You're not preparing them for Christian life. I mean, getting a decision and getting someone baptized, that's awesome. But if you're going to expect these folks to walk with Jesus the rest of, your, of their life, you, you've got to teach them a little more than, than what you're teaching them. And God pressed into my spirit about a year ago that we needed a series at our church on the supernatural, on the Holy Spirit, 
on the Christian life and, and basically how once you've made a decision to get baptized, how, how you begin to live the rest of your life for Jesus and do it well. And this series is a result of about a year of study and uh, prayer and talking and consultation with a bunch of people. And if you reach inside your bulletin, you're going to see, for those of you who are regulars, you're going to see some different things this morning. Um, one, your sermon notes look like this. They're much more detailed. You say, why is that? Because we're in a much more detailed sermon series than normal. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, what you hold in your hands is actually the third message that I put together this week. Um, I spent all day Monday uh, preparing the message for this morning and, and got it done, probably put eight hours into it um, and got it wrapped up. And that was after about 12 weeks of prep work, getting it ready and got to the end of it and, and just thought, you know, I don't feel like this is what I'm supposed to preach. So I took it and I threw it away and late into Monday evening and into Tuesday um, I kind of made another one that I thought was the message I was supposed to kick this series off with, and I finished it, and I thought, that still does not say what I feel like I need to say, so I, I tore that one up, and this is what I ended up with. And as I put this together, and as I got it ready for our bulletin, and tried to figure out what three points I wanted you to write down, I just thought, there's so much information here that is so important that I think people need to take home all of it. We're going to go over 55 different verses of Scripture today, about two a minute. There's no way you'll be able to write them all down. Um, We're going to fly through some elementary things of Christianity that I want you to have, but I don't want you to miss half the sermon on because you're, you're trying to scribble them out. Every week I have people say, Christian, you talk too fast. I don't have enough room to make notes. So what I've tried to provide a really good tool that you could not only follow along with today's message, but you could go home and look at it um, a little more. Uh, And then, I don't know, a couple months ago, we gave away like a hundred of these that people have been carrying. And then we kind of, we switched to a bulletin and quit three hole punch and stuff. Uh, But I had someone say, hey, can you go back to these so that I can keep all my sermon notes in the same place? So we've got some of these today, unless everyone bought them in the 915 service in the next step or by the uh, welcome center. So if you want to grab a folder today, all seven of these messages and ongoing, I, I feel like the Lord has said, Christian, it's time to let the ship out a little deeper um, in your teaching and in the people's understanding of what it means to be a Christian. So uh, if you want to grab these and start keeping what you learn so you can learn it again or teach it to others, awesome. Um, but today it's, uh, today it's time to go to the next level spiritually. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, our ushers are going to come down the aisles. They've got Bibles that you can use today. Just wave at them. Uh, they've actually got Bibles you can have today. If you don't have a Bible or know, know where yours is, just put your name in this one. It's yours. Uh, we will be reading a lot of Scripture today. It would be a good day to have a Bible on your lap. Uh, I know a lot of you follow along on your phones or tablets. That's awesome. Every Sunday we'll open the Bible and study it and learn from it. Uh, but today we're, we're going to be deep into God's Word. We're going to start in Hebrews 6. And then we're going to kind of turn over to John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 and kind of live there for today. So we'll start in Hebrews 6, but keep your Bible handy because we'll be in and out of it today. But in Hebrews chapter 6, we see the author of Hebrews get to the same point where our church has come to after about 23 months of church. About a month from today, we'll celebrate our two-year anniversary right here in this building on September 22nd. And as we, uh, as we celebrate 23 months today... It's time as a church, I feel like God is leading me to lead you into some deeper waters spiritually. In the next seven weeks, we're going to do that. Here's what the author of Hebrews says to the folks that he's ministering to. He says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again 
the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and a faith in God and instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. God permitting, we're going to do this. Look at verse 1 again. He says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to eternity. Basically, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, I know you understand the plan of salvation and I, I know you understand the basics of Christianity, but it's time now for you to understand more. Now, if we were to just look at Hebrews chapter six, we'd say elementary Christianity is basically the plan of salvation. Elementary Christianity, according to verses two and three, is knowing that you need to repent of your sin. It's understanding that you need to place your faith in God. It's understanding that you need to learn to go to church. The the author of Hebrews said we need to get beyond the cleansing ceremonies. He was talking about the religious ceremonies of the day that allowed someone to feel close to God. He said you need to learn how to serve in ministry. He said it's time to get beyond the laying on of hands. They would lay hands on people before they would go serve in ministry. He said it's time to get beyond just looking forward to heaven or trying to escape hell. The author of Hebrews says this is Christianity 101. This is the ABCs of Christianity. This is the first thing, the foundational thing that you learn in Christianity. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in God. Learn to go to church. Learn how to serve in ministry. Look forward to heaven. Don't want to go to hell. We get that. But the author of Hebrews says if we stay here... And if you would read the rest of the book of Hebrews, if we stay here, he said, you're never going to really live for God. Like that is the first step. Like that is the concrete that we pour in the ground. There's not even a spiritual house on top of that. This is just basic Christianity. And after you get basic Christianity, where I hope most of you are, he said, it's time then to begin to take steps towards maturity. Well, Well, what's next? That's a great question. Because we find out what's next is is something that can only be described as supernatural. We see that what's next is something that's spiritual. We see that what's next is trying to figure out how to have a very real connection between a human being and the God of the universe who exists in the heavenly realms today. That's what's next. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.18. Some of these verses are going to be on the sermon notes that I provided for you because we just don't have time to do the Bible drill all day long. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, But on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's telling the church at second Corinthians, and he had just told them earlier, a chapter earlier that they needed to start growing up spiritually. He said, you need to begin to exist spiritually in the supernatural realm. You've got to get beyond the prayer of salvation. You've got to get beyond just going to church. You've got to get beyond not wanting to go to hell. You've got to get beyond just thinking about heaven. You've got to begin to live in this realm that's not seen, but it's very, very real. Say, Christian, how do we do this? That's a great question. And that's hopefully over the next seven weeks what what we're going to learn. You know, Moses was probably, if not one of the three greatest leaders in the Bible, maybe if, if not the greatest leader in the Bible, he's one of the three greatest leaders. But Moses had the most difficult spiritual life, I think, of anyone who has ever Lived. If you look at the life of Moses, um, he was abandoned by government force by his parents. He was adopted. He lived for 40 years in, in kind of a different country, speaking a different language, doing different things. Then the next 40 years, he worked for his father-in-law as a shepherd in the desert. Then the next 40 years, he lived as a desert, not shepherding sheep, but shepherding people. I, I would say if you just read through the lives of people in the Bible, we know more about Moses and more about his difficulty than anyone in Scripture. There's no one in here that would accept the life of Moses. If we were paid a billion dollars a year, we would not make it for 40 years living the life of Moses. We just, 
It's impossible. You say, how did Moses do that? How did, how did Moses live a life that was so spiritually difficult to live and do it pretty well? Look what Hebrews 11 says as we talk about the supernatural. In the New American Standard Bible, Hebrews 11:27 says, Moses endured as seeing him who was unseen. Moses endured because he was able to live in the supernatural. Moses got through everything he was able to get through because he was able to have a supernatural connection with a supernatural God. And even though he couldn't see God, he knew God existed and he was able to tap into the spirit of God. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we meet a man named Elisha who has become a thorn in the side of the king of Aram. Aram is in modern-day Syria. Syria and Israel, they still don't like each other. If you read the news, there's still trouble over there. Well, there was trouble thousands of years ago in Elisha's day. And here's what would happen. The king of Aram kept making plans to go to war against Israel. And his counselors and advisors would sit in a room and they would say, okay, we're going to attack this city. And then when they would make that decision, God would tell Elisha. Elisha would tell the commander of Israel's armies. And when they got there, they'd be waiting for him. And this happened over and over and over again. And finally, the king of Aram addressed all of his commanders. And he said, someone in here is a spy. Because every time I say, we're going to go fight in this place, somebody tells the king of Israel. And when we get there, he's there. And they said, no, Lord, none of us are spies. What happens is whatever we say in this room God tells this prophet named Elisha, and then he goes and tells the king. He says, well, where's Elisha? We should kill him. Um, so they said, he's in this city. So the entire army of Aram, Syria, marched on this city. And when Elisha and his servant woke up in the wee hours of the morning, his, his servant who was with him, kind of a young guy he was mentoring, went outside, and the house was surrounded. And he went inside, and he woke Elisha up, and he said, the whole army is here. We're dead. They're going to kill us. And Elisha said, it'll be okay. He said, what do you mean it'll be okay? Like, we're preachers. We're not soldiers. And we don't have, like, the entire army of Syria is here. And they're going to kill us. And Elisha said, you don't understand the supernatural protection on our life. And he prayed a prayer over this young man in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, that I've been praying for our church for almost a year now. In 2 Kings six seventeen, he took this young man outside and he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And God allowed for just a moment the supernatural filter that's on the eyes of humanity to be pulled back. And this young man could see on the mountaintop surrounding that city uh, chariots of fire and angels. And he knew at that moment the supernatural power of God on his life. And the rest of the story is phenomenal. If you want to go read it, God struck the army with blindness. And they ended up being, Elisha literally said, yeah, I know the guy. Just follow me. I'll take you to him. And he took him right to the king of Israel. And they were surrounded. He had a chance. I mean, it's a great, great story. But he prayed, God, let the, hum, the human filter be pulled back so that he can live in the supernatural. It's my belief that if you and I don't learn how to live in the supernatural if we don't learn how to live in the spiritual elements that God has given us to survive, that Christianity will be very, very difficult for us. So in this series, my prayer is that over the next seven weeks, your eyes will be open to the truth of the supernatural power of God in your life. Now, here's what we're going to review over the next seven weeks. Today, we're going to look at a message called Why the Supernatural is Important to Me. Because some of you are sitting here and you think, I don't really care. You should care. And I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you how tapping into the supernatural power of God can change your life just the way it changed Moses. Next week, we're going to look at kind of the dark side of the supernatural. I've got a message titled, Who is the Devil and What Does He Do? In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says you should be on the lookout against the devil if you want to win spiritually. Okay, who is the devil? What does he do? How, How do we know where he is? Where did he come from? Why do we believe that 
Satan was an archangel that fell from heaven and he took a third of the angels with him that are now demons on planet Earth. Why do we believe that? Where does the Bible say that? So next week I'm going to talk about who is the devil and what does he do? Because we're going to find in this supernatural world we need to understand both sides of it. On September 8th, I'm going to talk about uh, do I have a guardian angel? In Matthew 18.10, Jesus said that the guardian angels of the little ones protect them in their life. So we're going to talk about angels in Scripture and the supernatural side of God moving in planet Earth and the angels we see from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. On September 15th, we're going to tap into the wisdom of Stephen Tyler, and we have a message titled, Walk This Way. Uh, and I asked Danielle, I said, hey, you know that Aerosmith song, Walk This Way? Um, i like, we, we should do that in church, and then I'm going to preach on that. And Danielle looked, Danielle looked up the words, and she said, Christian, like, I think Satan wrote that song. Have you ever read the lyrics to that song? And I went and read it, and I was like, okay, don't do that song. That would not be biblically appropriate. However, I want you to remember the words, walk this way, because in Galatians 5, it says a Christian needs to walk this way. And it tells us how to live our life. September 22, we're going to talk about being prepared for spiritual warfare. There are times in our life when it seems like all hell is coming against us. What do we do? How do we survive those times? September 29, we're going to talk about overcoming spiritual strongholds. In 2 Corinthians 10, forces, God is mighty of casting down strongholds. I believe that in our life, all of us carry one or two things that some people call generational curses. We got them from our parents. They got them from our grandparents. They got them from our great-grandparents. And they're things that if we don't figure out spiritually, how to get power over for once and for all in our life. Our kids and our grandkids are going to struggle with the same emotions and addictions and shortfalls that we have. So we're going to talk about how to overcome our spiritual strongholds. And then on October 6th, we're going to study First uh, John 4, 4, where it says, Greater is he that is in me than he who's in the world. We're going to see that the Christian life is hard, but we have an advocate with a helper. We have the Holy Spirit. We have, we have this supernatural ability to live for God if we will tap into it. Now, I don't normally do this, but on your sermon notes, you'll see the link to our Watch and Listen page. If you cannot be here one Sunday of this series, some of you in here have, chief, have tickets for the Chiefs season opener on September 15th. And as much as you love Jesus, you're not going to be here on September 15th because you're going to be at Arrowhead. You pray for us while you're out there and think about me and think about next year inviting me. Um, and we'll just do a video message that day. But if, you, if your kid has soccer, if your kid has football, if you, have, if you can't be here, I want you to go on that week and listen because each message will build upon the next. And if you miss one, there's, there's just going to be a little hole in what's going on. And I can't explain this every week. So just try to stay up with us and get engaged all seven weeks of this series. But today we talk about this. Why is the supernatural important to me? Why do I need to get beyond elementary Christianity? You know, I'm saved and I'm baptized and I'm going to heaven. Why do I need to do more? Let me show you why. My goal today, two things. Um, I want to give you an awareness of the supernatural in your life. And I want to show you how important it is to Jesus that you and I understand and have an awareness that we have supernatural power in our life. And then I want to give you an application of the supernatural in your life. How do you... Use the supernatural to get beyond the ABCs of Christianity and really begin living for God. That's a great question. We're going to try to give some soundbite answers to that today. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 13. Because we begin our study today of the supernatural in John chapter 13 with this awareness, this critical awareness that you and I have both availability and accessibility to a supernatural power that can help us live for Jesus. Now, you need to know this about the book of John. There's one thing that makes the book of John unique among any of the other books written about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And that's this. John chapter 13 through John chapter 19. 
I want you to think about that. John chapter 13 through John chapter 19. So John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 covers a period of only about 15 hours. So we have almost a word-for-word, play-by-play list of events going on in Jesus' life. And John chapter 13 begins with the Last Supper. So we're in the last 15 hours of Jesus' life. Between John chapter 13 and John chapter 15, he and his disciples will eat the Last Supper. He will wash his disciples' feet. Uh, Judas will be uh, possessed by Satan, to turn, and we'll talk more about that next week, to go turn Jesus over. Jesus and his disciples will go pray in Gethsemane. He'll, he'll be in such agony that he sweats drops of blood. Then he'll be arrested. Then he'll be tried and found guilty of blasphemy. He'll, he'll be beaten severely. He'll be crucified. And by the time we end John chapter 19, it's less than 15 hours later, and he's dead. All that happens in John chapter 13 through 19. Um, so a third of the book of John is written about 15 hours of Jesus' life. More than half the book of John is just written about the last week of Jesus' life. So if you really want to learn about Jesus in the last week of his life, John's your place. But in John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, and you can imagine now, right? There's less than, John 13 to John chapter 18 all happened in a period of about four hours. So, I mean, we we have almost word for word, moment by moment, play by play action of what's happening. And the most important thing that Jesus wants his disciples to know as we read this is that he's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again, but then he's going to leave. And they're going to have access to a supernatural power that will help them live for him. Look at John chapter 13. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. So have your Bible and and your pen handy. This might be a good series for you to bring a highlighter because we're going to go quick. Uh, It was just before the Passover festival, John 13, 1. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted you. You say, how in the world does that happen? We're going to talk about it next week. You should never, as a casual Christian, read the word that, the words that the devil did something. Oh, that's not important. That's always important. So the devil prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. Go down to verse 33. Some of you have to turn the page like I did. Because he begins this teaching. He'd come from God. He was returning to God. He needed the disciples to understand. Verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Look at verse 36. Good question to this statement. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow later. Go to John chapter 14, 1, because we learn where this place is. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Uh, If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can, how can we know the way? You need to underline that statement, how can we know the way? This has to be one of the greatest questions that's ever asked in the history of Christianity. How, how can we know what to do? How can we know how to live for you? How are we supposed to know how to live our lives when Jesus isn't with us every day? Great question. We continue to see the answer. Jesus answered, verse 6, I am the way. 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now go to verse 15 and keep your pen handy. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. You need to underline the two words, another advocate. Maybe in the margin of your Bible, the word advocate means helper. That's what it means. The word another means just like the first one. So Jesus said, you're going to have another helper that's just like me. So Thomas said, okay, Jesus said, I'm leaving. Peter said, where are you going? Jesus said, you know where I'm going. And Peter's like, no, we're not. He's like, okay, here's where we're going. And Thomas was like, what are we going to do without you? Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper just like me. Let's keep reading. Verse 16, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate. Why? To help you. And to be with you forever. And then, then he tells us his name. He's the spirit of truth. You need to underline or circle or highlight that. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You need to underline that. This is going to be something that's supernatural. This is going to be something that's spiritual. This is something you're going to know in the core of your spirit. You're going to know it in your heart of hearts. But you're not going to see it. Neither is anyone else. And neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him how. Underline this next part. He lives with you, and he lives in you. So Thomas said, how how are we going to do this when you leave, Jesus? And Jesus said, I'm going to send you a supernatural spirit to live inside of you, and he's going to help you just like I would have helped you. He'll help you do everything that you need to know how to do. Look at verse 25, John chapter 14 still. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, underline those words. Here we, here we are again. This is where God brought me to. As I was trying to teach you, you know, God, where do I start teaching about the Holy Spirit? Finally, message number three, God says, start where Jesus started. John 13 through 16. That's a great idea. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He'll teach you all things and he'll remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be afraid. Flip over to chapter 15, verse 26, because we wrap up this section of teaching here on the Holy Spirit. When the Advocate comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from me, he'll testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, folks, I want to tell you, if if you have an hour to have a conversation before you're going to die, And you've put three years into training a group of young men how to carry your message and your mission forward after you're gone. Probably the last hour of your teaching is going to be the most critical that you could ever have. And all Jesus does from John 13 through 14 through 15 and into 16 is teach them about the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that they need to be aware of, that they have access to, and that they need to know how to apply to their life. Now... If we just look at what Jesus said, and this like isn't my outline, this is Jesus. If we, just would, if we just underlined in John 13, 14, and 15, everything that said the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth will do, we find out five things. I call these quick notes because I'm not going to spend much time on them. Five things that the Holy Spirit does for us. First, the Holy Spirit helps us. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you. That, again, is in reply to the question, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to help you. Secondly, he said the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. 
another helper, another advocate, a helper of the same kind. The Holy Spirit's going to help you just like Jesus would help you, and he's not going to leave you alone. Some of you just dropped your kids off for college. Um, And some of you, that made you very happy because you've wanted them out of the house for two or three years. But some of you are worried because you're wondering who's going to be with them, who's going to take care of them, who's going to make sure they're they're not alone. Um, Some of you sent your kids to kindergarten for the first time this year, or you sent your kids to preschool for the first time this year, or you think about the first time that you left your kids to go on a date, or you think about the first time you left your kids as a couple to go away on an overnight, and you you worried deeply about who was going to be with them to take care of them to make sure that everything was going to be okay the disciples were worried like like who's who's going to stay with us jesus says the holy spirit will be with you thirdly he'll teach you thomas said how are we going to know what to do jesus said the holy spirit will teach you they said well how's this going to work jesus said the holy spirit will give you peace and i know all of us desire more inner peace or a higher level of inner peace in our life. Jesus said, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. He does that. And Jesus said in John 15, the Holy Spirit will help help you tell other people about Jesus. Now, at some point in life, leave that list on the screen if you would, Jan. At some point in life, we get beyond, forgive me in my sins. I don't want to go to hell. I do want to go to heaven. I'm sorry. At some point, we get beyond that and we think, you know what? I'd really like to live for Jesus. I'd really like to make a difference for Jesus. I'd really like to have impact for Jesus. And we look at this list and we think, you know, I'd like to be in a relationship with Jesus where I feel like he he always helps me and he's always with me and he teaches me like exactly when I need to know something, like he gives me wisdom and I feel like he gives me peace and he helps me tell, like no Christian would look at that and say, that's not important. All of us would look at that and say, yes, I need that. Jesus said, you need to be aware you can have access to that. Supernatural access through the supernatural Holy Spirit. However, not everyone's going to end up there spiritually. Look at John 16.1. It's really a startling verse until you read it in its context. So we've read John 13, 14, 15, 16 about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, all this I've told you so that you don't fall away. You need to underline those words, fall away. All this I've told you so you won't fall away. Y'all realize people fall away spiritually, right? Maybe you're like me and you've had a period in your life where you've kind of fallen away spiritually. You see, we read this in in Jesus. It sounds like Jesus is, is basically saying, I'm leaving, but you'll be fine. Because the Holy Spirit's coming and no one has to worry. But, but that's not really what Jesus is saying. Actually, in the context of John chapter 13, Judas does fall away forever. He's gone. Even in the midst of the teaching about the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells Peter, when Peter says, I'll never fall away, Jesus said, you are not going to get past midnight tonight before you fall away. And then Jesus tells all of them, listen, I'm telling you these things because the spiritual life, if we were to go on in John chapter 16, the spiritual life is hard. And you're going to have difficult friendships, and you're going to have difficult relationships, and you're going to have difficult habits, and you're going to have difficult attitudes, and you're going to, you're going to have things you struggle with spiritually And if you do not learn how to tap into the supernatural resource of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to make it. You're going to fall away. Now, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, I love what the Apostle Paul says, because maybe all of us need to begin this series with this awareness. Paul said to the church in Corinth, "Let, let him who thinks he stands take heed, unless he fall. We all need to realize that we're a decision, we're a sabbatical, we're a month, we're two months, we're a relationship away from just tanking spiritually 
Y'all know there are people who used to go to our church that don't go to our church anymore. They just quit spiritually. There are people who used to go to our church that don't go to church anywhere anymore. They just, they quit spiritually. Because they could not or would not or were not willing to tap in to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you need to know the end result of someone who's not aware of the Holy Spirit. The end result of someone who does not tap into the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, they're going to fall away. Like Judas, like Peter for a time, like others who are kind of in and out, like you and I who maybe that's where we were and thank God we're not there anymore. Now the interesting thing about this supernatural is is that it's more supernatural than natural. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to be unseen and unknown in the world. But he's our only hope spiritually. Like to the rest of the world, he's going to be unseen, he's going to be unknown. But he's our only hope spiritually. If you aren't aware of this fact and pursuing more information and knowledge about this fact, well, how does that work? If my only chance for survival is the Holy Spirit, how do I meet him? How do I tap into that? If, if that's not a concern of yours, you won't last long term. But if we can figure out how to like, get under the channel of blessing that God has provided to us through the Holy Spirit, man, we, like these apostles, will make it for the long term. And, man, we'll do things for Jesus. In John 16, he told his disciples, you'll actually do more than I did because I'm going to go to the Father. And whatever you ask me, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to give you for the glory of God and for the building of his kingdom if you learn to tap into the supernatural. So be aware of the supernatural. When you say, okay, okay, I'm aware of it, now what? Good question. We need to talk about an application of the supernatural. How do we, how do we take what we've learned and, and how does it fit into our daily lives? Good question. If we study scripture closely, just following what Jesus is teaching in John chapter 16, Jesus says if you will get aware of the supernatural and if, if you'll get close to Jesus through the supernatural, through the Holy Spirit, he said you need to understand the Holy Spirit will keep you close to Jesus and it will make you more like Jesus. Like that's one of the jobs, that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. When we have a life where we are tapped into God through the supernatural, we are close to Jesus and we're more like Jesus. Look at John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Because Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come. Here's what he'll do for you. But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong. You need to underline that. He'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world. Again, that, you say, what, is, what does that mean? That would be the devil and his angels. We'll talk about that more next week. The prince of this world now stands condemned. You say, what does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus said he's going he's gonna to show you... What is wrong? In the New King James Version, I, you know, some of you grew up with the old King James Version, the thou uh, type of language. In the New King James, it says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world. In the New International Version, it says the Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong. Basically, all of those are trying to say the same thing. The Holy Spirit is going to show what's spiritually true. People think things are one way, but the Holy Spirit is going to bend their heart to show them that spiritually This is what is true. And he's going to do that in three specific areas. He's going to do that with sin. He's going to help us understand what's wrong. And we would call this conviction. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're going to do something that's wrong and you're going to feel bad. 
And maybe you didn't used to feel bad, but you're going to think on the inside, your mind's going to say you shouldn't have done that, and your heart's going to feel bad, and you're going to feel the need to apologize to someone or forgive someone or maybe to cover up what you did because you don't want anyone to know about it. And, and that's the Holy Spirit's job is to let you know when you do something wrong, when you sin. The Holy Spirit's job is to also convict you of show you what is to be spiritually true about righteousness. His, his job is to help you understand what's right. So the Holy Spirit inside of us, when we do things that are right, we feel good about that. And, and, and it makes us just spiritually feel whole and it makes us spiritually feel right. And not only does the Holy Spirit help us stop doing things that are wrong because it changes the way we feel about them, but the Holy Spirit helps us to start doing things that are right because of what happens in our soul when those happen. So we didn't used to think about church. Maybe some of us were out of church for 10, 20. I met a couple who comes to our church who has not been to church in 40 years and now they never miss. All of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit's kind of running your soul, you wake up on Sunday morning and you feel that it's right to get up and go to church. You feel that you want to grab your Bible and you want to read your Bible a little bit. It teaches you what's right. And then the Holy Spirit teaches us about judgment. It reminds us that we're accountable. It teaches us about the judgment to come. And it reminds us that for every good deed, we're going to be rewarded. And for every bad deed, we're going to be punished according to the book of Corinthians. So I want to say this to you. If you've ever done something wrong and felt bad, if you've ever done something right and felt good, if you've ever had the thought that I'm going to be accountable for this, the Holy Spirit is already working inside you. It's just now learning to listen to it more frequently and to tap into the supernatural power that you have from God because the, super, the, the Holy Spirit's role in your life is to keep you close to Jesus and make you more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job, secondly, is to help you hear from Jesus. This was Thomas's question. How are we going to know what to do? You know, what if we have a question? Who's going to tell us what to do? In John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, Jesus continues. I love what Jesus says here. He says, listen, I've got a lot more to say to you, but it's more than you could bear now. He says, I wish I could tell you every decision to make for the rest of your life, but I can't do that right now. But I'm going to send someone to help do that. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into truth. He'll speak not on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what is yet to come. He'll glorify me because it's from me that he'll receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father's mind, that's what I said. The Spirit will receive from me what he'll make known to you. So how do we hear from Jesus? The Holy Spirit helps us hear from Jesus. How? Really three ways as we study the Bible. First, through his word or, or through, our, through his inner presence in our life. Uh, we would call this a spiritual conscience. Um, Everyone has that moral compass that I believe we're born with. And when you become a Christian, it's as if you give the keys of your conscience to Jesus and say, you're in charge now. Tell me when to go right. Tell me when to go left. Tell me, tell me when to go straight. And you let the Holy Spirit begin to become your inner voice of what is right and wrong in life. So we hear from Jesus through, our, through his inner presence in our life. We also hear from Jesus through his word. Uh, I would call his word, Psalm 119, 105 calls his word a spiritual map. Say, where are we supposed to go spiritually? The Bible is a spiritual map. Psalm 119, 105 says his word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. It's a map that helps us go forward. Uh, one of the main responsibilities of the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, is to give us scripture so we can hear from Jesus. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all... You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, that means not one word in the Bible, 
came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. That, that means humans didn't choose what's in the Bible. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Thomas said, how are we going to know what to do when? And Jesus says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will tell you. How? Well, I'm going to have him write down a lot of it for you just as a guide. Everything in here the Holy Spirit has written, so you will know what Jesus wants you to do in any particular situation in your life. And his presence will lay that on your heart. His word will confirm it. And then I love the third way we hear from Jesus is through God's people, which, which I just see more than anything of spiritual confirmation. I rarely begin with God's people when I want to hear from God. When I believe that God speaks to my inner presence, I try to go to his word and confirm what God is saying to me is also in his word. But then once I've done that, I'll go to people that I trust who I believe have Jesus in their lives. And I'll say, hey, what do you think? And if they'll say, yeah, that, I, I believe that for you, then, then, I, then I feel like I can know what God wants me to do. I hear people say all the time, how do I know God's will for me? That would be the recipe I would give. Listen in your inner, in, to his inner presence, read his word, see what the most spiritual people around you have to say. And if all those three match, it's probably what God wants you to do in life. So the Holy Spirit will help me stay close to Jesus and be like Jesus The Holy Spirit will help me hear from Jesus. And then according to Scripture, the Holy Spirit helps me serve Jesus. Gives me the ability. Gives me the will. It gives me, Acts 1-8 says, the power. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. God said, listen, when the Holy Spirit, when the supernatural comes into your life, it's going to give you the energy to serve God the way you're supposed to serve God. And this will keep you close to God. It will make you more like Jesus. It will help you hear from God. Um, the supernatural Holy Spirit is a great, great thing. And all of us now would be like, oh, you know, okay, how, how do I get, I would like some of this. Um, I say yes, where do I get it? But as I studied scripture, here's one thing I learned about having the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's kind of a sad but true reality. According to scripture, the power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives leaks. It leaks. And let me tell you what I, what I mean by that. that. That means that whatever Holy Spirit you have in you now that fuels your daily life, that helps you be close to Jesus, that helps you be like Jesus, that helps you hear from Jesus, that helps you serve Jesus, um, that amount of Holy Spirit is going to leak and be gone in your life. And according to the Bible, you've got you to fill up again, just like your car runs out of gas. You say, where is that exactly? Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18, Paul said to the church in Ephesus, be filled with the Spirit. You say, well, that, that, where do you get that it leaks from there? I get it from the original language. Now, I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail because no one speaks Greek and not many people care, but the original New Testament was written in Greek, not English. And the English language sometimes doesn't say what the author said. So when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, Paul did not say be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek... Depending on what ending you put on the word, it would change the meaning of the word. And I know probably most of you aren't English majors in here, but in the Greek language, and I wrote this down for you so you didn't have to write it down, this word be filled is in the present passive imperative verb tense. You say, what does that mean? Present means present tense. It happens right now. Imperative means, and it has to keep happening. Passive means it happens to you. You you don't do it to someone else. Let me show you what, what... what it should say, be filled, should say, be being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, if you want to stay close to Jesus, you have to be being kept filled. You have to constantly be getting 
filled. Dr. John MacArthur is one of my favorite Bible scholars. Here's what he says about this in his words. Unless a Christian stays filled with the Spirit, he'll live in spiritual weakness, spiritual frustration, and spiritual defeat. Now, if we could stop right there. Some of you today are living in spiritual frustration, spiritual weakness, and spiritual defeat. You have a Holy Spirit problem. You're, ru- you're running low. Your gauge is saying E on the Holy Spirit. The continuous aspect, that's the imperative, of being filled, be being kept filled, involves day-to-day, moment-by-moment, submission to the Spirit's control. The passive aspect indicates that it's not something we do, but it's something we allow to be done in us. The filling is entirely the work of the Spirit himself, but he works only through our willing submission. The present aspect of the command indicates that we can't rely on a past filling. We can't live in expectation of a future filling. We can rejoice in past fillings. We can hope for future fillings, but we can live only in present filling. Man, if you'd have been in our room at youth camp this year and heard our students say last year at youth camp, man, I got so filled with God. And like I couldn't wait till next year at youth camp to get filled with God again, but like sometime between then, like I ran out. Like God went away. What happened? What happened is you can't, you can't keep going on past fillings and you can't wait for future fillings. Every day, every moment, you have to tap into the supernatural aspect of God's Spirit. MacArthur says to be filled with the Spirit is to live in the consciousness of the personal presence of Jesus if we were standing next to him and to let his mind dominate our life. Why? Because we leak. We leak. You say, well, how, how, do, I, how do I not leak? Like, how do I plug the holes? You know, how, how, do, I, how do I keep more Holy Spirit in than, than gets out? Well... That's a good question. And I went to Scripture to, to try to find the answer to that. Last weekend, um, I was late for church, not for the 915 service, but to do setup up uh, for our church because I, I went out in my garage and my car was dead. And it, it wouldn't turn over. And it turned over just enough that three years ago, I drive a really old car. It has like 250,000 miles on it. And I could tell my alternator had died again. Um, so I, you know, I told some guys when I came in and said, hey, where were you? I said, I, I think my alternator is gone again. Um, and a couple of them said, hey, we, we can fix that. Uh, we'll come over to your house later and fix it. I'm not really a car guy. I don't know a lot about cars. Um, but, I, you know, I, I had a guy come over and help me change my alternator. I said, what? like, basically, how does this work, just in layman's terms? And he basically said, well, your, your battery um, jump starts your engine, um, and then the engine runs itself. But he said, the alternator, when your battery it jumps the engine. Basically, your alternator holds the charge. Keeps the, when your engine's running, it keeps the battery charged and keeps all the systems in your car going. So the battery, jump, the battery gives it the charge, but the alternator holds it. And when the alternator dies, the charge is not enough to run the engine. And I thought, man, that is exactly what happens spiritually. We say a prayer. We, we, we have a little spark that gets us to turn over spiritually. But if nothing holds the spark, like we get revved up and then we just die spiritually. That's why our spiritual commitments, we feel so good at church, and then we feel so good driving away from church, and by Monday morning, it's, it's kind of gone. And I thought, Lord, how do we get a spiritual alternator that, that holds the charge so that the Christian engine can run and run and run around? What, what do we need to do? So I looked in the Word, and I thought, what, what holds spiritual charge? What plugs a, a leaky spirit? And here's what I found out. According to Scripture, faithfully attending church, according to Hebrews 10.25, keeps us filled keeps us filled up, keeps the charge going. Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake gathering together because by it you're going to be encouraged. You're, you're going to be filled. Um, living within Christian relationships keeps the engine going. 
spiritually. And Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says one, one might fall. Two can more easily defend themselves. Man, three, they're going to keep that spiritual charge and your engine is going to keep running spiritually. That's why we tell everyone to join a small group. Um, faithfully serving according to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. says this is your spiritual act of service and it's what fills you spiritually serving God. So Romans 12 says that if I faithfully serve, I'm going to keep getting filled over and over and over again. A weird phrase that you may have never heard before. Chewing on God's word um, helps us to stay filled with the spirit. You say, that, what do you mean chewing on God's word? Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah said, when your words came, I ate them. The word ate doesn't mean that he literally ate them, but it means I digested them fully. When your words came, I digested them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Joshua 1.8 says meditate on God's word. The word meditate is best described in the English language by a cow chewing his cud. Have you ever seen a cow that just looks like they're constantly chewing? The way we're supposed to read the Bible is just to get one thought and just to kind of chew on it all day long. To try to help you all day long just chew on something that's that helps you stay close to God. And then pray. The Bible says when we pray, we, we fill ourselves back up with the Spirit and, and, and we, we plug the holes that are leaking. Now I started looking at this list and I started thinking about people that I pastorally interact with. And let me tell you what I have come to find out. I have people in our church who, who will come up to me from time to time And they say, Christian, I just feel empty spiritually. And after looking at that list, I want to look at them and say, you are. I have people say, you know, Christian, I just, man, I just, you know, I really feel disconnected from the church. I'm thinking about going someplace else. And I look at that list and I say, well, you are disconnected from the church. You won't make it in this church if you don't come uh, faithfully. And if you don't go to a small group and if you're not in your, you, you don't understand, like the Holy Spirit is going to leak out of your life and you're not going to, I feel, I hear people say, Christian, I just, you know, um, I just feel really distant from God. It's because you are like, you've made no attempt to get close to, why would you, why would you expect to feel close to God if you do nothing to get close to God? And I realized that this supernatural power is available to us and it's accessible to us, but we have to apply it to our lives. And the more I realize this, the more sometimes I do things I don't want to do. You know, it may surprise you, but um, I don't like to read my Bible every day. There are some days, I, like I'm reading portions of Old Testament prophecy or ge- genealogy stuff, and I'd rather stab myself in the eye with my pen than keep reading God's Word. But I do. Every day I take time to read my Bible. Why? Because I leak. Because I know I leak, and i got to keep filling up. Um, I don't... I don't love Christian music, um, but, I, but it's all I listen to. Why? Because I leak. And if I listen to something, like it's, it's just something that plugs a hole in where the Holy Spirit is leaking out of my life. You know, I'm not a huge legalist, but I, I won't go see movies that just have lots of garbage in them. Because I leak. Like, like I realize doing nothing bad, I will run out of the Holy Spirit. So I have to continually try to do things that are good, not to earn God's favor, not to go to heaven, but because I want to be close to Jesus and I want to be like Jesus. And I want to hear from Jesus and I want to serve Jesus. And I hear people say, you know, well, we, you know, we just, we got real tired. So we took a break from small group. And I said, what you did is you pulled, you pulled a plug out of your side where the Holy Spirit's gushing out. Maybe you should take a break from something else because you need to plug that hole. 
well, we just took a break from church. We're not getting, you know, Sundays aren't what they used to be. And, you know, so we're just taking a break from Sunday morning. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to fall. Go someplace else, but don't go nowhere because you're losing the Holy Spirit. Well, we're just going to take the summer off of serving. As we really, no, take something else off. Because like the Holy Spirit is flowing out of you like Swiss cheese according to Ephesians 5.18. And if you want to be close to Jesus and like Jesus and serve Jesus and hear from Jesus, like you've got to constantly be in the place where you're getting filled and refilled and refilled and refilled. Man, God is like the greatest waiter or waitress in the world, right? He like stands right by your table. And so that's all you have to do. Anytime, anytime you're empty, just stick your iced tea cup out and I'll fill it. Like I will never not fill your cup out. But if you decide to sit your cup in the corner and you don't come to the well, you don't come to the place you can be refilled, you're going to get real empty real quick. And you're going to feel distant from God because you are. And you're going to feel empty spiritually because you are. And you're going to feel like you, you can't serve like you used to because you can't. You have to tap into the well of who God is. Some of you today, you need to fill up. Some of you today need to make better decisions because you're wondering why your filling doesn't last as long when you have pulled all the plugs to let all the water out. And you need to, you need to reprioritize your life to stay filled with the Holy Spirit so you can have access to the supernatural power of God in your life.